Um, I want to kind of pick up where we left off last week and talk about these days leading up to Pentecost from, from Passover to Pentecost or countdown to Pentecost. And, and last week, you know, we talked about how Pentecost is the Feast of Weeks, which is a, a harvest festival. And, and so Jesus, um, when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, it was, it was a, a type of first fruits from the dead. And so in Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, it says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and the dominion forever and ever. And so Peter preached the sermon in uh, Acts uh, 2, and, and out of that sermon, 3,000 believers uh, or 3,000 people became believers in Jesus Christ. And this is right after they have, the tongues of fire appeared over, over them. And these 3,000 people were like the first fruits of the harvest of humans, just as Jesus was the first fruits of, from the dead. These, these, 3, 000, these first 3,000 believers started, was basically the start of the church. And they were Jews that had come from all over the surrounding countries to Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks, for um, Pentecost. And so what happened during Pentecost is it's believed in Jewish tradition that Moses received the law on Mount Sinai during the Feast of Weeks. And so here you have, during the Feast of Weeks, believers receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And so the, the receiving of the law was the instant the implementation of the old covenant and the receiving of the holy spirit at pentecost was the implementation of the new covenant where you know in ezekiel it says god will give us a new heart put a new spirit within us remove our heart of stone give us a heart of flesh put his spirit within us and cause us to walk in his statutes and observe his ordinances and so um this morning, I want to talk about the fire of consecration. And, and so, uh, as we have read that account in Acts chapter 1, I want to read it again this morning, just so we refresh our memories of, of what's going on. So this is Acts chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. It says, When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And so that the key sentence here, or phrase, is in verse 14, they were, con they were with one mind, continually devoting themselves to prayer. And I feel like that one mind that they had was just this desperation for Jesus. This desperation for to receive what Jesus had promised them, that the giving of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus had told them to, to wait and to tarry until you receive power on high. 
And in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, it says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. And so I've been praying that for us as a church, for the church at large, just that God would give us the spirit of grace and supplication and that we would look upon, we would have a fresh revelation of Jesus on the cross and what he did. You know, there's uh, guys throughout history and, and during revivals where they would they would look at the cross and, and like they couldn't look at the cross without weeping because they would they would understand the price that Jesus paid and the, the sacrifice that he made to free us and, and the love that goes into that kind of sacrifice, the laying down of the life uh, of, of his life that Jesus did for us. And so I want to, I just want to pray into that right now about asking God to give us a spirit of grace and supplication. And so Lord, we pray for a spirit of grace supplication Lord grace is your ability to do what you've asked us to do give us that father pour out your grace you said the may the love of God the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us and I, I pray that father and I pray that there would be a spirit of supplication coupled with that grace God Lord that, that, that a spirit of intercession the spirit of supplication the spirit of, of praying for our country praying for our neighbors Praying for your kingdom to come, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, Father. Praying for your fire to fall again like it did at Pentecost. Lord, pour that on your people, Lord. You said that your house will be called a house of prayer. And Lord, I just pray that in the spirit, Lord, that you will drive out all the money changers. You will drive out all the corruption. You will drive out all the defilement in your temple, Father, in your house. And that once again... The church will be called a house of prayer, Father. Lord, we pray for just for you to restore the tabernacle of David. Father, in, in Athens, Georgia, Father, we believe that's a promise that you've given us that, that there would be 24-7 worship and prayer established in the city. And Lord, we don't know exactly what that looks like, but Lord, you said in the last days that you would restore the tabernacle of David. So do it here in our city, Father. Do it in our homes. Do it in our families, God. Let our children... Pour out the spirit of intercession and grace and supplication on our children, Father, and on our, our mothers and fathers and our grandmothers and our grandfathers. Lord, we ask it in your mighty name. Amen. And so we go to Acts chapter 2, and it says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And so Luke wrote the book of Acts, and he's tapping into a repeated Old Testament thing, something that we've seen that was... Uh, had precedent in the Old Testament. And so when God's presence showed up on Mount Sinai, he made a covenant with Israel and he gave them the Ten Commandments. 
And then when God's glory, so when, when Moses went up and he received the Ten Commandments, what happened? It says there is a storm on that mountain, basically. And so you have uh, thunder, lightning, darkness. The mountain was shaking. And what happened to the people? It said that they were filled with fear and with awe. And so what's happening in the upper room here at Pentecost? It says a violent rushing wind comes into the upper room. So it sounds, it looks like it's a, like a storm basically comes into the room. And there's been recordings of when the spirit was poured out in, in a church where it, you could hear the sound of a rushing wind. If you've seen the transformations videos, there's a city up in Canada, a little town, in, uh, indigenous village up in Canada that had a visitation of the Holy Spirit and they're crying out in their church for God to come. And you hear this, this wind start whipping around on the recording. And so Mount Sinai, you had a storm. The upper room, there's a storm. Okay? So then God's glory also came in a pillar of fire. And it filled the tabernacle when he came to live among them. So Luke's making a point here. This is God's personal temple presence. God's spirit was as was foretold by the prophets and now it's time to take up residence in the new temple of Jesus's body that is his people and so as believers in Jesus Christ we're like these little mobile temples that get that move around just like the tent of meeting was picked up and moved and transported we're these mobile temples of the Holy Spirit as 1 Corinthians 6 talks about and so in these Old Testament um, occurrences of where God's pouring out fire, you have it on the at the burning bush, which also happened at Mount Sinai. And so Moses encounters this burning bush, which God speaks out of on Mount Sinai. And he says, you're going to go, you're going to get my people free from Egypt, and then you're going to bring them back here to receive my, my law. So what does Moses do? He goes to Egypt. God frees them. They come back to the desert. They come back to Mount Sinai and they receive the Ten Commandments. And so then you have in Numbers chapter 9 verse 15 where fire comes to the tent of meeting. When they set up the tent of meeting, what does God do to show that this is his, that his, this is his consecrated ground as he sends fire in the tent of meeting and he does not consume the tent? And then you have fire and glory and wind fills the temple when Solomon dedicates it. So David wanted to build a temple. He was a man of war. God wouldn't let him build the temple, but he said, your son will build it. And so here's Solomon. According to historians, this is the most lavish, uh, you know, expensive building ever created in history and nothing comes close. So in 2 Chronicles Chapter 7, verse 1, it says, When Solomon had finished praying, dedicating the temple, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And then in the king's account, it says, All the priests fell back from the glory of the Lord. And so then you have Elijah. He's taken up in a chariot of fire in 2 Kings 
2.11, it says, As they continued to talk, a chariot of fire with horses of fire separated the two of them, Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So that's another account. And then you have another account of fire describing God and his presence as the Ancient of Days in Daniel chapter 7. I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing there before him. The court sat, and the books were opened. This is the Ancient of Days. And then you finally come to Pentecost, where you have the tongues of fire. So what is the common theme between Pentecost and all these Old Testament examples of fire coming and setting apart and consecrating a place or a people? And so fire, wind, and glory all represent the marking out of temple space. That's the theme in the Bible. Fire, glory, and wind all represent the marking out of temple space in the Bible. And so this fire and this wind and this glory represents where heaven meets earth. So heaven met earth on Sinai. Heaven met earth in the tent of meeting. Heaven met earth in Solomon's temple. Heaven met earth on the believers at Pentecost with the tongues of fire. And so the fire is the symbol of consecration. You have in, in Malachi chapter 3, it says, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, Jesus Christ, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? When the Lord shows up on the scene, nobody can stand. You hear me say this all the time. When Jesus shows up, everybody's going to hit the ground. All knees are going to bow. All tongues are going to confess. And so let's do it now rather than later. Let's bend the knee now to the Lord rather than later. For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. I was reading in Proverbs 25, it says, Remove the dross from the silver, and out comes a vessel for the smith. And so those that want to be used by God will come under the fire of consecration. God will put you, it's the, the fire of his presence is the same, it's the same fire. God doesn't have two different types of fire. It's one fire. And that same fire that gives us the, that, that baptizes our hearts and gives us passions for Jesus is the same thing that's going to remove every idol and everything that hinders love, that, that cools our passions for Jesus. And so when we call for the fire of God to baptize our hearts, I want you to understand that he's going to come and he's going to remove the idols. He's going to remove the compromises out of our life. He's going to remove the sins that so easily entangle and that hold us back. And so these temple spaces become places where God's appearance manifests itself with these physical phenomena that, that all kind of look the same. 
And in all of these scenarios, the people are kind of freaking out. They freaked out at the, at the base of the mountain in Mount Sinai, and they were kind of freaking out in the upper room, and the people that were hearing what was going on in the upper room were freaking out as well. So similar to Mount Sinai, there was thunder and lightning, darkness and fire. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the upper room was that same storm resting on each person. So these tongues of fire also in some, in like the Aramaic, looks like it was translated as pillars of fire. So it, looks, it looked like the little pillar of fire above their head, these tongues of fire. So the pillar of fire just like in the Old Testament, it led Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. A similar pillar of fire manifests itself here and leads the believers at Pentecost out of the bondage of the old dead religious structures into the powerful life of the Holy Spirit. So each person received their own pillar of fire, so to speak, that would empower them and lead them throughout their life. We've received that same pillar of fire that's going to lead and guide and direct us, just like the pillar would move and the people would move with it. We move, the, the Holy Spirit moves and we move with the Holy Spirit. John chapter 3 says, Those who are born, again, they're born of the Spirit. They don't know where the Spirit's blowing, but they go where the wind goes. Now, the Messiah was going to be a king in the line of David who would be raised up and and all the classic messianic promises in the Hebrew scriptures say, I will raise up your seed after you. Talking about David. David, I will raise up your seed after you. And he tells David, and he says, and, he, and your seed will build a temple for my name. Now we know that it was Solomon, but it was also talking about Jesus, who is called the son of David because he's in David's lineage. And so even... As we talked about last week, even after Jesus was resurrected, they're still expecting him to overthrow Rome. They're still expecting him to do these, to be, to be an earthly king right now. And so they're, they're expecting him to restore power, and they're also expecting him to, to build a physical temple that would either be built or rebuilt. So, but Jesus, he said, no, you're still getting it wrong. He is going to come back. And reign on the earth as the king. But right now he has established his temple as his people. That cannot be constrained in a building. As we're, as we're experiencing right now. And Hebrews says do not forsake the assembling together. But it doesn't. we can assemble anywhere. So it talks about the people of God coming together. But it's not, we're, we are just not restrained. There's no box for the Lord. And even in Isaiah 66, God's like, can you build a temple for me? Is there anywhere that can, is there anything in the earth that, that can even hold me? And the answer is no. He says, but this is the one upon whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in the heart and who trembles at my word. So God is looking for a resting place. And that person and that resting place is you. And it's me. And he's looking for hearts that are humble and contrite. They don't think they know it all that look for wisdom from the Lord. Wisdom comes by listening to the one who has wisdom. And so Jesus is building a temple that will cover the earth through the global church. So I love, the Lord's a genius. He is a genius. He's like, I'm going to build a temple that will cover the whole earth. And so how does he do that? 
He does it through individuals. He does it through the global church. And in Habakkuk chapter 2, it says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. And the, the angels, they're calling out to one another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So in Hebrews chapter 12, this is uh, verses 18 through 29. And this is basically sums up everything, <clears throat> everything that I've been saying here this morning. It says, for you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and to a blazing fire and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who, who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command. If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. It's so holy. Nothing with sin, nothing that's not holy and perfect and righteous like the Lord could touch the mountain. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, that would be Moses, much less will we escape who turn away from him, who warns from heaven, and that would be Jesus. And his voice shook the earth then, talking about Mount Sinai, but now he is promised, saying, yet, yet once more, I will shake not only earth, not only the earth, but also the heaven. So one of the encouraging things about this is that when God, he's shaking the heavens. So we're seeing lots of stuff manifest in the earth. We're seeing principalities manifest in the earth, demons manifesting in the earth. Because why? Because God is shaking the heavens. You have the third heaven that Paul talks about. That's the throne of God. That's, you know, that's where the angels are, are crying out, holy, holy, holy. You have the first heaven here on earth. And then you have that middle heaven, the second heaven. And that's where things are happening in the spirit realm. Angels and demons, just like in, in, in Daniel where it says that um, Michael said he was held up by the principality of Persia. That's where the wars are going on. And so God's shaking the heavens and the earth. And so what's happening is heaven is coming to earth. But some of this stuff in the middle is, is being shaken and is, is now manifesting here on the earth, on the first heaven. And so it's, we have to realize that when things are just like, or way out of normal, Things are, are manifesting that we don't understand. It's, it's the shaking that God's doing. And so it says that this yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken. As of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, 
Since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude. Isn't it amazing that the most, <laughs> we're dealing with like supernatural powers and the shaking of the heavens and the earth. And here God's saying, show gratitude, give thanks. This is what I'm asking you to do, is to simply have a humble heart and give thanks and show gratitude. He has made it so simple for us. By which we may offer to God an acceptable servants with reverence and awe. What happens as thanksgiving increases in your life? The awareness of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the reverence and awe for God increases as your thanksgiving increases. And it says in verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. And I keep hearing the Lord just say, restore the fortunes. And there's a scripture in Ezekiel 39, verse 25, it says, I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. And I believe that this is a word for our nation. That he wants to restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. It says, but I will be jealous for my holy name. And as the church, I'm telling you, we can't go back to business as usual because there, God's jealousy for his bride is stirred up. It's stirred up. And he wants to restore everything that the locusts have eaten. He wants to bring back everything that was stolen during this time. Everything, uh, even the, the stealing, killing, destroying. God wants to restore all of that. But for uh, he, but what he's doing is he's he loves us, he loves us with the the love of a jealous husband. You know, Song of Songs chapter eight says, "Love is as strong as death, and jealousy is as fierce as the grave." And so God has a jealous love for us, and we and and the the Bible talks about those who follow him being jealous for the Lord as well. It's not just him being jealous for our love, but us being jealous for him, that he would receive the glory and the honor due his name. And we can't do that without the fire of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm praying as we approach Pentecost that we truly enter into a new Pentecostal season where the Spirit is poured out in ways that we've never seen before. The Bible says there's going to be a, there's a, a former rain and a latter rain, that the former glory of, of this temple is going to pale in comparison to the latter glory of the temple. And I believe that's talking about the global church. And I believe that that rain is talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that there's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit greater than what's recorded in Acts. And so let's, let's believe that.